This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And you might be like, why am I listening to this sappy music? And it's because this is my last show. Um, I am moving on from the Wharton Social Impact Initiative, uh, actually at the end of this week. But (laughs) Sandy's bawling in her seat. Uh, Matt, our producer, uh, you can dry eyes? No? Okay. Um, But... I just want to first and foremost thank all of you for making this an incredible, incredible five plus years uh, here on Dollars and Change. I absolutely love being here with you ev- nearly every week. You know, we rotate hosts, but it's been really fun. Uh, but we do have a great show for you. We're not going to keep this low energy the whole time. No. We first, but I'm going to bring it back down at the end to say goodbye. <laughs> That's all right, and we'll, we'll we will continue to be here for your listeners. We will have Nick back on, maybe as a maybe. guest in the future, um, and we will. You know, continue to to carry the torch of great content in your absence, though you will be sorely missed. Well, thank you so much. But of course, you can expect a fantastic show today and every week here on Dollars and Change. We are live every Thursday from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific. We're replayed throughout the week. And of course, you can find us on demand on the SiriusXM app. We're going to be talking about something that you may have seen in the news recently. We're going to be talking about redistricting and gerrymandering. The Supreme Court uh, ruled that, hey, not our issue. I've got lots of opinions on that, but we will be talking to a couple of experts. The first will be Yuri Rudensky, who is the redistricting counsel of the democracy program at the Brennan Center for Justice. And he'll be joined by Christopher Warshaw, assistant professor of political science at George Washington University. Um, Sandy, I think I cut you off. You were going to say something. No, just before we jumped into our segment, I wanted to um, remind our listeners, for those who, who sort of know what gerrymandering is, you know, might might read it, just the formal definition that this is. Gerrymandering is the the practice intended to establish a political advantage by manipulating district boundaries. That's right. Um, So I just want to make sure that we've got clarity on the issue before we jump in with our two very uh, special guests, Yuri and Christopher. Yeah, so welcome to the show, Yuri. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. And so, Yuri, let's start off a little bit with your background. Uh, Yuri, tell us about what you do at the redistricting, uh, as redistricting council of the democracy, democracy program. Sure. Well, uh, the the Brennan Center is a nonpartisan, uh, nonprofit uh, think tank and um, policy advocacy shop and civil rights law firm. And we work on various aspects of uh, improving our systems of democracy and justice, including redistricting, which has been a, a central pillar of our work since the center was founded in 1995. And our work really covers... Uh, a pretty broad swath of issues, uh, particularly as the redistricting cycle, uh, the next redistricting cycle approaches in 2021. So first and foremost, we're working on uh, ensuring that the 2020 census is a success and that all communities get counted because that is the data on which uh, redistricting depends. And then we're also working to make sure that states and um, Uh, Congress pass reforms to make sure that the process plays out as smoothly as possible. And finally, we're we're going to be assessing uh, what 
is done in 2021 to see uh, where legal action is appropriate. And then we're also joined by Christopher Warshaw, who is an assistant professor at George Washington University. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do, what you teach, and maybe what you research on at GW. Sure, I teach, um, and, and my, my work is broadly on uh, representation in American politics. So it's the effect of elections and public opinion on the political process. And one of the areas that I do a lot of work on is partisan gerrymandering. Um, so for the past two years, I've written a couple of academic papers on it, and then I've uh, worked as an expert in a couple of court cases. So, okay, I think we just set the stage for how we are going to be discussing this a little bit. But our listeners might be like, well, this is Dollars and Change. It's on business radio. This isn't POTUS. It's, you know, it's not the political channels on SiriusXM. So um, I just want to sort of give the context for our listeners as to why I think this is important. Um, you know, you can think about um, sort of redistricting or gerrymandering as um, Yuri mentioned it's counted with the census data. So every 10 years, we have a census. And who is counted and how it's counted and then how those districts are drawn certainly have an effect on who your representative in the U.S. Congress is who are making economic policy. And who's in, who's out, how they're represented is really, really important. And so that's why we're talking about this on Dollars and Change, because you know we want to make sure that your count, you're counted, you're voted, you're voting, and you're the, that your vote counts. So, um, Yuri, can, Sandy at the top of the show gave us sort of a definition, but can you also sort of tell us why this is an important issue for us to be talking on Dollars and Change? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... You know, the, the term gerrymandering has become kind of a catch-all for everything that we don't like about our uh, legislative and congressional maps and politics more generally. Uh, but it gets to this, this greater point, which is uh, increasingly constituents are feeling alienated and disconnected from uh, the folks that are uh, setting policy on the issues that are both the kitchen table issues that impact uh, all households, as well as uh, things, more macro issues with respect to trade and uh, foreign policy, domestic policy, those types of things. And um, this is where it all begins. And no matter what your issue is, whether it's environmentalism, whether it's the way policing is done, whether it's schools, uh, it all starts and ends with who are the policymakers how did they get elected? And can they be held accountable? And Chris, you know, in, in your research, you know, this is this is both a Democratic and a Republican issue. So how, how do we think about these dynamics? Well, I think it's absolutely both a Democratic and Republican issue. I mean, over the last I think that if you had asked me in 2009 how big a problem gerrymandering was, I would have said, well, we don't really know. Or, or maybe it's not that probably not that big of a problem. I think what's happened over the last decades, um, starting with the 2010 redistrictings, um, were a couple of things. One is that the polarization and nationalization of elections make voting behavior a lot more predictable, which means that the gerrymanders that were done in 2010 are really still affecting politics today. Um, and then the second thing that's happened is that as politicians have become more polarized, um, in, in addition to just voters, the consequences of elections really heightened. Um, and this was back to something we were just talking about, which is, you know, these legislatures make policy and all kinds of important issues. 
And the differences between a Democrat and a Republican in many, in many places are just massive. So if the elections are really designed so that only a Democrat or only a Republican could win the election and take control of the legislature, um, I think that has massive implications for democratic governance. And just to give some context, uh, put some numbers on that, as we like to do here on Dollars and Change, last year, 17 seats out of 435 were decided by a margin of 5% or less. So this just illustrates the sort of how extreme and um, polarized these, you know, these lines are drawn. And, and Yuri, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Because what it really also speaks to is the uncompetitive nature of of our um, electoral process right now. Right. Which is not a very motivating uh, thing when it comes to voting. If you feel like, you know, that things are, the decisions are already made. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly it. And one, one point of clarification, I think a lot of times people think of competition and the relevant measurement of competition is the general election, the Democrat versus Republican, and what happens. But I think the impact is bigger, and, and I think uh, it's also... Uh, relevant and necessary to look at what's happening at the primary level and and who is able to win. And even stepping away for a second from both uh, inter-party and inter-party contests, both at the primary level and the general uh, election level, one of the things about gerrymandering is the districts are plainly put poorly drawn, meaning the communities that are captured in these districts aren't cohesive. There isn't any sort of unifying principle that drove uh, whoever drew the maps to lump those groups of people together. So these people can't effectively organize. And, And the politicians that do run aren't presenting coherent solutions and ideas Uh, to the people that live in that particular area. And so you have these factions which are chosen primarily based on uh, their tendency to support one party or the other. Um, and, and, And it really destroys all political discourse and the ability for representatives to be able to, uh, uh, address the issues that are relevant and important to a particular community in a particular area. And Chris, is this getting worse over time? Is this the way things have always been? Can you paint a picture of the trends we're seeing about this extremism? Uh, absolutely, it's absolutely getting worse. I mean, as I was just saying, I think that some of the trends happening are the increasing polarization of Americans at both the uh, mass level among voters and among elites. Both make it easier to, to develop gerrymanders, but also heighten the consequences of them. And then I think in addition to those factors, um, technology is obviously making it easier to gerrymander. Um, so that I think that map makers today really have a lot of information available so they can precisely tailor a map um, to maximize their party's advantage. And I think that's precisely what we've seen in, in a place like North Carolina, where there's a lot of information that's come out um, over the past couple of months that Republican map makers there really um, you know, did some precision targeting to make that map um, elect as many Republicans as it possibly could, uh, at both the congressional levels and state house levels. And I think Democrats did something similar in Maryland and, and probably other states as well. And if you look at these maps, just to paint a picture for our listeners, what you see is something that looks much more like, you know, uh, a, a Rorschach test, you know, like an ink blot uh, than clear lines that might be driven by county lines or logic. I mean, um, I, I will say that's true, but the, one of the problems is that even the, the technology has become sophisticated enough that 
map makers can actually draw maps that to the naked eye look reasonably coherent, but actually have a massive partisan skew in them. Hmm. So I think that was certainly true in 2010, you know, in 2011, when the last round of maps were drawn. But I think a worrying thing for the next round of districting is that, you know, map makers know that the appearance of maps is something that gives people, gives people pause. Um, so now they're going to make maps look a little prettier, huh. even though they have even more, you know, just as much or more partisan skew as they did last time around. Right. Wow. And I'm, I'm reminded, well, I'm reminded of actually here in Pennsylvania that we had, I think, like the, um, uh, the Goofy, like the Disney character Goofy, like we had a, a district that looked like the character Goofy or something, oh, and it well, like made no sense. That's, it's just outside of Philadelphia. That is where the term gerrymandering came from. It was done originally by who was it? Someone, someone by the, with the last name Jerry. I forget his particular role. And, and the it like and it, a salamander. And it was a Boston redistrict, and it looked like a salamander. So that's where the word gerrymandering came from. But fascinating that there are now ways to sort of do that. But know that uh, know the optics of it, and, and it sounds like they're getting more sophisticated and making it look a little bit more clean, um, so that we don't spot that. What is some advice, Yuri, for knowing this technology? What are map makers? Cartographers? Is that the word? I don't. Maybe not in this sense. Demographer. Demographer. It's one of those tri- pub pub trivia questions that I feel is somewhere in the back of my brain. But you know, knowing this level of sophistication and how things are presented. Yuri, what are what's some advice for our listeners on how they can, you know, read and watch and engage in their political process? What should they be looking for or asking about to um, understand if this is going well? Well, part of the, the, the problem is having access to the process itself. Uh, transparency so that the public can uh, serve as a watchdog and see what's happening, see uh, what are the considerations that the map makers are, are taking into account, what data they're considering, and what the plans are designed to do. Um, making sure that there's enough uh, happening above board so that the public can meaningfully participate is an incredibly important thing. Uh, to demand between now and when the redistricting process starts in 2021. Uh, That's one of the the key things in reform that we're looking for. Um, The other things that we're trying to do is make sure that even if one party does control the entire state, that it can't just steamroll the party that is uh, maybe temporarily in a minority position. Maybe it's solidly a one-party state, but still it's important uh, that the redistricting process does uh, take in input from people uh, across the political spectrum in making sure that uh, communities of color and various communities are represented in the process because these are all stakeholders of our communities and our states, and they deserve to be represented. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn with Sandy Hunt, and our guests are Yuri Rudensky, who is with the Brennan Center for Justice, and Chris Warshaw from George Washington University. We're talking about gerrymandering and the effects of the 2020 census. And I wanted to pick up on one thing you just said, Yuri, about states uh, and state legislatures. So I wanted to make sure that our listeners really understood that it's generally or always state legislatures that are making these decisions, right? Because we're talking about map makers and but like who's the authority here? So I just want to make sure that's clear for our listeners. 
Well, the, the trend has actually been in, in states that have taken up reform is to hand over the reins for redistricting to a commission. And there are different ways that commissions get selected and structured, but generally speaking, the two uh, primary ways that districts get drawn in this country is either by the state legislature uh, using a process that's very similar to uh, the way all laws get passed, um, and commissions. All right. So, um, Chris, help us understand. Okay. So I guess what I'm thinking about right now is, all right, we've, we've, I think we have an issue, you know, it, it doesn't seem representative or maybe even fair. Um, there have been some challenges to state districting. You mentioned North Carolina. I just mentioned Pennsylvania, and we know that it went to the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about some of the legal challenges that we've seen uh, to these issues. Sure. Well, I think the legal challenges have fallen into two groups. Um, one is there's been two challenges in state Supreme Courts. Um, one of those was in Pennsylvania that I was a part of, where the state Supreme Court overturned the, the map um, at, because it was a partisan gerrymander. And there's also a challenge happening right now in North Carolina in state court. Um, and so those challenges um, are ongoing and are likely to continue happening in the coming years. And then there's also been a set of challenges in federal courts. And that's what your listeners may have read a lot about over the past couple of months, because the Supreme Court... Um, Well, over the past, I should say, over the last six months, there were four, I think, four federal courts that basically overturned maps uh, because they were partisan gerrymanders. All of those courts established clear standards um, for figuring out when there was a partisan gerrymander. But then when those cases got up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court decided that, no, there aren't actually manageable standards for this, so courts should stay out of it, Um, even though a bunch of federal courts had just actually, you know, figured out manageable standards. Um, So I think that what's too bad is that in the wake of the Supreme Court decision, I think until there's a different majority in the Supreme Court, um, the federal courts are basically out of the game of policing um, gerrymandering, um, which is going to mean that in the coming years, I think many states are going to think there's sort of open season to make these gerrymanders even more extreme. Um, And then I think that's going to happen on both the Democratic and Republican sides, so that in a state like Maryland, um, or probably like Massachusetts, the Democrats are going to craft, um, you know, more extreme gerrymanders. And in places like North Carolina, um, if the courts don't strike it down, there's clearly going to be more extreme Republican gerrymanders. And and Yuri, I just wanted to quickly unpack a couple of things that Chris just mentioned. I mean, we, we, he mentioned the, the Supreme Court decision and, and that maybe there aren't standards, so that's why um, the, they, the court should stay out of it. But listen, I am not a constitutional lawyer by any stretch of the imagination. But when I when I thought about it, just going to the Supreme Court, like in my mind, I was like, yes, this is the type of issue that the Supreme Court should be ruling on. And it's kind of my understanding that, you know, in the majority opinion, they were just like, no, actually, it's just this is not something we're going to touch. So, like, why? Why is that? Why? Why did why do you think they came down on that standard? Well, that's a, you know, to, to a certain extent, it's the we're kind of scratching our heads wondering the same thing, especially given the facts that were presented and just how uh, egregious the process uh, that was challenged in North Carolina and in Maryland, the two cases that were up before the Supreme Court were. Uh, and, you know, if I'm looking at the... Um, opinion, the majority opinion, and and trying to um, give it uh, credit, uh, it's it's just saying that uh, 
it's a matter of degree and that gerrymandering always is present to a certain degree and it shouldn't be the role of the courts and it's unfair because it politicizes the judiciary and and puts courts in a position to be uh, making political judgments and making partisan judgments uh, to say when that line or threshold is crossed. We, of course, disagree vehemently with that, and uh, some of the research that Chris has been doing and a lot of the other scholars have been doing uh, demonstrates that it's very clear when a boundary has been crossed, uh, and the, the cases that were before the Supreme Court really presented that uh, starkly and so we, we think the court did the wrong thing, um, and, um, but now we have to live with the consequences. And so the fight uh, shifts to Congress, and Congress does have the authority to put limits on congressional gerrymandering, and it shifts to the states, which can put limits both on congressional and legislative gerrymandering. And, and I am curious, um, you know, I, I think no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you know, we can probably all agree that there's just a lot of political gridlock in Congress. And a good bit of that comes from these types of practices and not really having representation and, you know, maybe to some degree the uncompetitiveness, as we discussed. But I hear you also that that's not the primary issue. Um, so, you know, Chris, you know, thinking about representation in politics and democracy, what's what you look at, you know, what's the future here? Are we just screwed for a generation? Um, well, I think that it's possible that in some states they will continue to pass ballot initiatives that limit this, and the state Supreme Courts may limit it. Um, but I do think that it, with a lack of action by the Supreme Court, until we develop a national consensus that leads Congress to pass a law that limits gerrymandering, um, you know, I think this has continued to be a problem. And as, as um, we talked about earlier, the continued polarization in Congress and in the states um, what that means is just the, the consequences of, party, of gerrymandering are, are larger and larger every year. Um, it just makes a big difference who we elect to Congress and whether people get the, um, somebody that reflects their partisan and ideological preferences. And let's talk about the, the impacts that um, to sort of bring this to issue specific discussions mm-hmm. and things like that. Help our listeners understand you know, we can all, I think, appreciate the severity of like, wow, you know, this is getting more and more extreme. Um, but what does that look like when it shows up in policy? Sort of how is this impacting people in ways that might be obvious yeah. to them and maybe ways that aren't, is, aren't you know, ways that are not so obvious? Um, well, I think what's, you know, one easy place to see it is in the states, where in the states that have enacted the most, I think, egregious gerrymanders, um, like Wisconsin and North Carolina, um, you know, they passed a slew of, of very extreme policies that I think have shifted um, how the sort of how liberal the, their larger policy portfolio is um, really dramatically in one direction. So in the case of Wisconsin, um, in the wake of the 2010 and 12 elections, um, you know, they just passed a whole slew of conservative policies, um, like a right to work law. They repealed collective bargaining. Um, passed new abortion policies, um, and likewise in, in North Carolina, um, where states like Massachusetts and Maryland, where maybe Democrats have benefited from gerrymandering, um, policy is shifted to the left. So I think that, you know, in my view, gerrymandering is not, I think we frame it wrong sometimes when we think of this as sort of some abstract thing, like sort of akin to whether the Red Sox or the Yankees win a baseball game. Um, you know, this like real, real policies 
and um, dollars and cents at stake here. And I, I'd like to ask you this question, but I'm going to stick with Chris for a moment. Um, you know, I'm going to put my researcher hat on and say, like, if we know that some states have enacted or, you know, pushed the the district redistricting uh, challenge to a commission versus, you know, more of a pol- political state legislature type of pr- uh, process, do we see differences in outcomes, not just from the maps themselves, but then sort of in the impacts of policy and, and elections? That's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer off the top of my head on the policy impact, but certainly we see less um, gerrymandered maps result. Um, I have looked a lot, uh, quite extensively at sort of the effect on the partisan bias, the results from the map making process. And in states with a nonpartisan commission, um, the results look much more neutral. So if, you know, if one party wins half the votes, they tend to win about half the seats. We're in a place, whereas in a place like Wisconsin, where Republicans have just, just really constructed a really extreme gerrymander, you know, they won 60 plus percent of the legislature with less than half of the seats, or sorry, less than half of the votes. And I think we can all agree that in a democracy, if you win a majority of the votes, you ought to win a majority of the seats. Absolutely. Amen. Yep. What can people do? So maybe, Yuri, we go to you, to you with this question, our listeners, if they're anything like Nick and I are, are listening or frustrated, um, what's to be done? Well, there are a lot of excellent groups working on reform on the state level and on the national level, and I think that is the biggest thing, uh, is getting involved, um, making sure lawmakers uh, from both parties know that this is a priority, that this reform matters. And uh, as um, just to take a half step back, uh, reform is incredibly popular. Uh, across the political spectrum, and you can see that in these ballot initiatives that pass by overwhelming margins uh, in conservative states and more liberal states, and uh, making sure that lawmakers know that people are paying attention, that they understand how the process works, and uh, that they care about uh, how things play out is is the biggest thing uh, that can be done because these practices thrive in back rooms behind the curtain deals and uh, these types of shady uh, practices that allow um, these abuses of power to take place. So, um, you know, I think that's a really good bit of advice. But as our listeners think about, or or they may just be like, oh, yeah, there's a census coming in 2020, like it's 2019, we're coming up on that. Um, You know, what should what should our listeners be looking out for, too? And, you know, just making sure that they're they're counted correctly? Well, it's just a matter of um, responding and and urging uh, everyone in in their community to respond. And and I really do mean everyone, not just uh, people who you may uh, agree with on politics and whatnot, because the the reality is the census is not just how political power will be re- redistributed. It's not just the basis for redistricting. It's also how federal dollars get spent in our communities. And if you care about getting money for roads in your community, if you care about getting money for schools, for hospitals, etc., it means everyone needs to be counted that lives in your area and that uh, doesn't hinge on immigration status. It doesn't hinge on race. It means everyone. 
And I think we're going to have to end there, but it's a great way to think about, hey, the flow of dollars and regardless of what your political position is and how it affects social issues, boom, dollars and change. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Yuri Rudensky, the Redistricting Council of the Democracy Program at the Brennan Center for Justice, and Chris Warshaw, Assistant Professor of Political Science at George Washington University. I'm Nick Ashburn with Sandy Hunt. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.